This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Don Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity, and I'm Pat Hazel. On this episode, we are held captive by a musician, composer, and professional joy maker whose musical performances are as much visual art as they are auditory. Rhythm and movement become a dance between instrument and body. Her genre-bending music, coupled with a visionary style, allows her to tap into the pulse of the people. She explains her technique for creating live loops while composing film scores. And she demonstrates a mastery of the cello when I challenge her to a spontaneous underscoring throwdown by tossing out random story scenarios. Stick around for a creative conversation and some magical musical improvisation with the swellest of the cellists, Jen Cornell. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, you're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La 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 la, la 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 la. Hi Pat, I'm glad to be here. This is so cool for me. Now, if I'm a naive eight-year-old in my questions or my conversation, it's because I don't have much of a music background. And so right off the bat, how much is music a part of your identity? Oh, that's an awesome question. I'm sure you get told that a lot with your questions, but it's a huge part of it. And I actually battle with it because I don't want it to be such a huge part of my identity. I basically, I realized that it was a good and a bad, kind of like we play to our strengths. And when our strengths are out of whack, they can become a weakness. I find that that is the way I feel about my identity wrapped up into music. So the way that it's cool for me and that it's a strength is that work and play and being alive and living life is more seamless because everything is related to music for me and everything is a joy to be a part of most of the time for the most part but it gets out of whack when insecurities come in about like for example if i'm going to a party and no one at the party has ever heard me play music or they don't even know that i'm a musician the feeling of oh, will they like me, you know, just me, Jen, without that part of my identity. And so that gave me a great opportunity for growth. And I only realized it really in my like late 30s that that was an issue for me. And so I still work on it whenever things come up like that and I have to lean into it. But music is really everything that I'm about overall so it's bound to come in there and into conversation and everything that I do and it's an extraordinary superpower to anybody to me that can compose music and play it and when I first saw you perform it was at an arts conference and it was so electric because in in some ways because you are music there's an energy to your how you perform physically there's an urgency and an energy and you attack the cello in different ways, like between plucking and 
your bow work and using it percussively and so forth, you were sort of inseparable from the instrument. And I was really like awed by that. So give me a sense about how that style came about or when you began to use it. You know, I know that you started when you were young, 11 years old or something, but that was classical. And what I saw was anything but classical. Right. Well, thank you, first of all, for, for your comments and your kind words. I do strive to become one with my music and with my cello. I had a fantastic teacher in Italy who used to have a phrase, he'd say, don't let yourself become a slave to a piece of wood. I think that I strive for that that freedom when I play cello to be almost outside of my myself in a way and just be in the music. That means a lot to me that you perceived my performance that way the first time you saw me. The kind of techniques that I play with come from what do I want to hear? What do I want to create? And I started thinking about more sonically and sound and how I wanted to feel in certain pieces of music. So I began experimenting with those kinds of techniques. Some of the things that I do are more akin to like say a bass or to a guitar, like with the plucking. And that opened up a lot for me with the way that I layer so that I could give myself the rhythmic quality that guitar and bass um, and that sonic spectrum to the low notes. And the classical music and classical training really honestly is the foundation of everything I do, even though the way that I use the cello and the techniques that I use are definitely not classical. They're all things that I can only do because I'm classically trained, I think, because you still pluck your instrument when you're a classical player. You still play fast notes. You still do all those things, but it's more a matter of, again, having the sound that I want and the feeling that I want drive those choices. The feeling is what is really mysterious to me, because what you're doing is translating uh, emotions into sound, right? The cello particularly is an instrument that probably is uh, one of the more magical instruments that kind of matches the human voice or, you know, more like a siren of the sea where it calls you to it. What's the magic trick there? Like in terms of when you think of an emotion uh, and then you say, I want people to feel this. Tell me, that's so mysterious to me. So Take me on that journey. I'm going to be really honest with you, Pat. It's very mysterious to me as well, which I think is key because um, I find that if I'm in the right space where later people say, wow, I really felt that, I'm not using my mind that much. It's some sort of energy flow of just the way literally emotions are movement, right? So I think that using the foundation of technique, using the foundation of musical structure and knowing those things, but then just allowing to, allowing yourself to almost be not in the mind, but just in the flow of whatever that emotion is. For example, the last film project I worked on, you know, they told me in the beginning they wanted to have emotion similar to prison work songs and African folk songs. And there was a lot of pain around the story because it had to do with the exonerated five who were falsely imprisoned just because they were young black boys and they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they made some some young people choices that led to a lifetime 
change that was extreme injustice. So sitting with that pain, if you will, of the injustice, also my own responsibility in our current society to show up and acknowledge that those things are still happening and that that did happen, brought on a lot of emotion for me. Once that happens for me, it's actually, I wouldn't say easy, but it flows. So genuinely, I don't have a formula of, okay, I do this and I do that. And then this happens. It's more like allowing myself to really feel something and let it flow through me is where the magic can happen. You're a vessel that I think the bow becomes an extension of your heart in some ways, right? You're letting it guide. The sound is guiding your feeling. That's really amazing. What was the name of the film that you're talking about? Punching the Air is the name of this book that Dr. Youssef Salam wrote. And the movie is a very short film to help bring attention to his book through HarperCollins Publishing. And it was made by a filmmaker, a producer that I've worked with before on a previous film called Body and Son, which I really trusted him and he brought me onto the project. So I was really, it was a great project to work on. I jumped around YouTube and I saw some really cool stuff, something called Wild Horses that you had played and it was a one take thing. So the Kodak Film Center here in Atlanta is where they edit the Walking Dead TV show and they did like the Marvel movies there. It's really cool. They film on 18 millimeter, I believe is the right format. And it has this really unique look. Chris Anthony Hamilton was helping lead this workshop for young filmmakers to learn how to, to shoot on 18 millimeter. And they needed a subject that would be dynamic and interesting. So he invited me to come and perform and allow them to learn. So what we did was a play a playthrough of my song, Wild Horses, uh, The 13th Good. Then each student did a portion of that film and it got put together. So it's a really cool student film, but I, I was really pleased with how it turned out. And it has that unique look because of the type of film it's uh, created on. Well, it also intrigued me that you were and I, maybe people don't know this about your work, but that you are building often songs, looping different levels to layer things. Describe what that process is, because I I have an experience having walked into the Atlanta airport a couple of times and been beckoned to a place where you were playing and hearing these songs building and then being willing to be late for my flight to watch it come together. It's super cool, and I don't think a lot of people realize it's not you playing to tracks, that you're literally laying everything down. So tell me how you go about that. For sort of some common ground on language, I know most people are familiar with the concept of looping, but I just want to start at the very ground zero, just because I think it's worth uh, going over. So when a person creates a loop, they record themselves and then that keeps playing. That's what we're referring to when we say looping. And I'm using an analog way of doing that through a pedal versus say a digital platform like Ableton Live. My cello is going through a pedal and I will record something that I want to layer. And then 
I will hit play or stop depending on if I want it to immediately start playing or if I want to just save it for bringing in at a later time in the piece. And then I can do pretty much endless layers like that. So looping is when you record and then play with that recorded track. There's definitely different ways to approach it where you might have pre-recorded things. And I see value in both the pre-recorded and the live version of looping or bringing in layers. And really the song, again, whatever sound the artist wants or whatever sound I want is what will dictate how I approach it. But I prefer most of the time to have everything be created live because I think that that is the way to create the most energy. And like we've been talking about, everything is basically an energy flow. And so I want my listener to feel engaged in that moment. And if something's pre-recorded, there's no guarantee that they may be engaged in the same way. When we saw at the saw each other at the airport, that would be an example of when I would play there, I really like to feel the energy because if you want to talk about energy, there's a lot with that many people going through, 250,000 people a day that I had the potential to, to touch or to meet. So that's a big, big energy flow. And so why would I not want to tap into that as an artist? It's a really powerful thing if you allow yourself to quote unquote, read your audience or read the room, um, I think is really what that means is to tap into that. Going back to the looping and the tech of the looping, one of the things that I like to do is think in textures. So what looping does for me is it allows me to be more like a, say a jazz musician. So I can create different versions of the same song, you know, because like what, if I'm doing it live and I'm creating different layers that are speaking to me at that time, it's always going to be a little bit different. And so I like that because it keeps my, my music more fresh for me, but I can still feel very free in the music because it's something that I'm intimate with. And I know every time that a jazz musician might play a certain song. They know that song really well, but they allow themselves the, the freedom to go somewhere different each time. So how much improvisation is, like, what's happening right before the creativity of the song? You know, again, it, it depends on the, the song, how fresh it is. If it's brand, brand new, and it's something I just thought of, like, maybe right there, it's going to feel really vulnerable, I call it like birthing a song. It feels like, you know, it's an important rite of passage for any piece of music that I'm even thinking about creating more into a fleshed out version to play it in front of people and to feel the different parts. And new ideas really do come to me when I'm allowing myself to be in that vulnerable stage. So that's why I do it. Not, not really because I think that there's, you know, that it's going to create the most awesome song the very first time I do it. Sometimes it does, but more often than not, it's to allow myself that artistic process so I can find the magic that then I can later revisit and have things more thought out. The feeling for me is it's a level of trust of that, you know, I've put in the put in the practice and I've put in the, the work. So hopefully my fingers will do what they're supposed to. And 
hopefully my foot will hit the pedal in the right timing. But it doesn't always happen when you're allowing yourself something that's that new. You also learn from that kind of experience too, because then it helps me learn, you know, what I might do in a more high pressure performance situation when things are going south. And I find that it's just an overall very um, enriching experience, even though sometimes it is painful if things go badly. (laughs) It is about taking a risk in the sidecar with you and understanding it's going to be on the journey, but just not giving it the steering wheel, right? That's the thing about risk is most of the good stuff does come from exploring something. And when you start to create a daily routine of it, then it doesn't feel so bad. Twyla Tharp, who's a great choreographer, talked about she's done some really good shows, really amazing shows, and some not so good. She admits that some of them were epic fails, but in the meantime, to discover them or to find them along the way, it all begins for her with walking into a white room, just a blank room, a boombox, mirrors, and then the dancers are her thing to work with as a choreographer. But sometimes she doesn't have the first clue about what's going to happen. She wrote a beautiful book um, called The Creative Habit. And she refers to the habit as being the discipline of doing it daily at whatever stake you can until the habit becomes sort of a ritual and all of those things become instinctual. And and that's part of it. If you If you hide behind that fear, then you never really get to the point where you're getting the building tools to do what you do. I guess what I'd like you to give a little comparison to for me is from the solo looping work and creating that vibe to when you actually get to take it to a fully orchestrated, when you, when you hear the other instruments and they all come together, give me a little comparison about those two worlds as a recording artist. I'm still trying to kind of reconcile those two a little bit right now. Currently, I think that I'm always interested in how can I up my game for the live performance as a soloist. I think that's something that I'll always feel. It's a responsibility to make sure I can always be um, the most entertaining, the most interesting that I can be, and hopefully create some sort of experience that is meaningful. Um, I'm always examining it. Currently, the way I approach it is in the vein of organic, real, vulnerable. Those are words that come to mind for live. And then for studio and recording things to think of, meaningful. But really, for me, I think the the more polished, every little nuance, everything has been thought out and everything has been examined very carefully on a studio recording. I think that that is the way that I approach the two. You know, there's definitely a magic in playing with other people. Yes, it's super fun to play by yourself, but what I find with playing um, solo is that the audience, the listener, is who I'm actually playing with so much more. And then when I have Amra or any of my other musician friends that I get to play with, we present, I think we go into our own world. We definitely interact with the audience. Um, You you have to have an engagement kind of uh, relationship, I think, but that there's so much more for me to to feed off of with the other performers, that that's also another type of difference between the two. You're probably collaborating with a number of other artists in the vision of their work. 
Yes, absolutely. And I love it. I love it so much because it, it's always something that I grow from as well. Is there some specific places we could find your sound in other people's work? Absolutely. Um, the most recent is with B.O.B. He is someone that I've uh, worked with a handful of times now. I think that he really likes to get my sound in his songs. And so I can definitely hear myself. I write tags and string parts and he he invited me we performed for burning man festival this year on their online their online festival called abracadabra he joked he's like yeah my band's gonna have keys drums bass and cello (laughs) it was so funny you know it's like you wouldn't think that a rap you know hip-hop artist would have have the cello there featured but somehow our two artistic ideas vibe really well. I love working with him. So you can find my work with B.O.B. on his um, latest album and also online with video of that performance on his uh, YouTube channel and on social media, on my Facebook, on Instagram, that kind of thing, for sure. And there's lots of other people that I've had the honor to work with, and it's always fun. Lots of different kinds of music, but I think B.O.B. is the person that when you listen to his tracks, you're going to hear Jen quite a bit. And for those who don't know, Jen is two N's, J-E-N-N, and Jen Cello is the place they can find out more about you. I know that. Um, and, uh, and cello has two L's for those of you that have never spelled the word cello. <laughs> anyway, I know that you encourage folks to have music in their life, that it's a joy in any way. And as a teacher and a mentor and as an educator, you're very involved in bringing people along. Tell me a little bit about your involvement there as an artistic guide. Well, thank you. I'm, definitely, it's really important to me that I help other people have the joy of music, people of all ages. And I work with the Community Music Centers of Atlanta here in Decatur, where I live in Atlanta. I head up their chamber music uh, program as well as the string department of the music school. And I really found that they have the same values that I do, which is something that's really important to have people that are aligned with what matters to me artistically as a teacher. And and that word mentorship is really key because really a person can learn a scale these days from YouTube. You know, you can tune in and you can learn almost anything from tutorial videos on YouTube if you have enough practice time and devotion to the practice. The, The thing that I think is really important is about nurturing the young artist, whether you're 60, and I'm saying young artist, or whether you're six years old, and that unconditional support and having it be a safe place for learning. You know, when when I have my students and they apologize for making mistakes, I'm like, you don't have to apologize to me unless you hurt my feelings. Like, that's it. Like, you are allowed to sound, you know, you're allowed to sound bad because that's part of the process again and I think that people miss out on that when they are um, on their journey for music by themselves and they are too hard on themselves way too hard I tell my students to think of themselves as 
the most ideal version of a mother, that motherly energy, and to only speak in their head, in their mind about their learning process as that kind mother, even if they didn't even grow up with a mother. I'm just saying to think of the ideal version and then always be saying, good job, great job. Like, and of course that doesn't mean to not use your critical mind and the ability of your, of your mind to focus, to improve. We must do that, but people are just too hard on themselves. And so it's really important to me that I help other people have the joy of music. And I choose that word intentionally because again, you can have a tremendous amount of joy, even as a beginner student with your, your musical journey. Well, music, there's a quote, I may be paraphrasing, but Victor Hugo said that music expresses that which words cannot and that which cannot remain silent. There's something that has to come out of you, right? It's like a a songbird doesn't really sing because it has a song. It sings because it has something to express. I mean, it must be just amazing for those students to have somebody as experienced as you whose generosity is there. And I know that you do it in outreach, in your community, um, you play for uh, not just education, but for senior centers and other things. So tell me what that sparks in them. I think that it's really wonderful. It's a win-win for everyone. I was recently at one of our assisted living homes, and I was the first musician back inside to perform for the residents. And it felt like being in you know, like a family home and people just enjoying being together and listening to music. And many of the people listening were just learning about my music and learning about me right there in real time. And that's part of the thing that also is a lot of the the fun is to visit the people there to have those conversations and to learn about each other. So when I bring in young musicians into those situations, I think that I want them to be learning from all of it, not just being there thinking, oh, I'm just donating my time and I'm you know, just giving of myself. It's really something that's nourishing on all sides for everyone involved. Are there other parts of your life where your creativity in music translates to other creative ventures with food, with photography, with any, what, what, what other kind of outlets? You know, I think that it's everywhere. Honestly, even from how I work out at the gym to cooking my meals, because I think once a person has given themselves the permission to be creative, then you are addicted to it because really the creativity itself is the value. That's the part that you actually grow to enjoy, even if the recipe didn't turn out as amazing as you thought, you know, or your creation, because honestly, I don't follow recipes hardly at all because it's more fun to be like, hmm, I wonder if I substitute this and do that. And I'm trying to get better at baking, but see, baking is more where you literally have to measure and you really have to follow recipes to an extent. Um, but I enjoy all of that in the kitchen. I find it a really sort of therapeutic process for me personally, because I have nothing invested in it other than just to make yummy food and to love on other people by sharing recipes and sharing food that I might make. Um, and then with like working out, I, I like that creativity because I think that it helps me be more in tune with my body and to not be limited to like, oh, today is only arm day or today is only leg day. And that those kinds of concepts, not that I haven't 
um, followed that kind of thing in the past, but I find it more exciting to just be like, what does my body tell me I want to do today? And to approach things like that from a creative standpoint. Your energetic playing is athletic in a way, right? Like the shoulder work and the so forth you're doing with the bow all day is really vigorous. I, I am intrigued by the cooking analogy because the art of cooking is improvisational, very much like your art of building a song through looping, right? But the art of baking is a science. The rules are hard and fast. The length of time, the amount of the ingredients, you don't get to go willy-nilly on more flour and more cayenne pepper, right? That's not... Right. Yeah. It's so funny that you you literally struggle with that structure in baking. There is structure in a piece you played. Uh, you were, I think you were doing a, a, a tiny desk concert. Forgive me if I don't say it right. It was called the Malanga. Is that right? No, you said it absolutely correct. Okay. Yes, it's Milonga. Very good. Piece, but it seemed really strict. Like there were a lot of details in that song. You know, when you pick up a thing like that and you are now playing specifically to structure what the demand is. Well, um, there's a lot less room for error, that's for sure. <laughs> so just like the baking analogy. So the Milonga, for those of you listening that are not familiar with that, is the one of the fastest forms of an Argentinian tango. So if you think about a tango and how the pulsing in a tango is very rhythmic and there's really heavy accents, so the malanga that I composed has that really heavy accented quality. Also, tangos in, in Argentinian tangos tend to have what's called syncopation. And syncopation is when in music you have the weak beats or what are usually weak beats become accented. And so there's this sort of give and take, just like the dancers that you might imagine in your mind's eye. So um, the song that, that you're referring to, Pat, you know, luckily it, that's one that I composed my own version of a milonga. So that is helpful because it's still coming from my own feeling. So the way that I approach structure, and this is in all of my music, whether or not I'm even improving more in the moment, is that structure cradles me. It's actually a really welcome thing because within the structure, I can be free. So I view it as a partner to the improv for myself. So even within the heavy structured Malanga form, I, in that particular performance, I wanted to improvise on melodic material or how long I might be on something. And I had a roadmap in my mind, but I wasn't going to hold myself to how long for, you know, eight bars here, eight bars there. That way it gives me more freedom to feel it in the moment. And again, combine the two elements of structure versus complete freedom. Oh, that's awesome. I hope that we're hearing a bit of that right now under while we're talking. <laughs> like I feel like I want everybody to understand that energy and the flow and the syncopation and stuff that you talk about. It's a really, really powerful thing. And in some ways, in your film scoring life, that, of course, would help tell this story for me. When a musician writes any kind of film scoring, they're adding an element that is maybe laying down some emotional tone. Oftentimes they're connecting 
beats between scenes and sometimes carrying the energy of the story, which is so much more powerful often than the dialogue. So whether they're creating suspense with that or terror or some sort of sensitivity or whatever, when you approach film scoring, obviously a lot of discussion has to happen about what is the scene about with a director or a producer that brings you onto a film. The word trust comes to mind because I think the relationship with the director or producer is integral. And so you both have to trust each other. And I really, it's my job to listen to those word choices around emotion and um, then bring things to them to consider and, and listen to their, their requests back. Usually, um, there's multiple stages to coming up with the finished version to a scene. And so there's usually sort of like a meeting in the beginning where I get a feel for the project as a whole. And I might be informed of what kind of filming and what kind of cuts they're going to make between scenes. The coloration, the graininess, those kinds of things can all be communicated in musical sounds to help enhance the artistic direction of the film and the trust part comes in for me with the producer the director that they know what is going to work best for the story or for the film and so I really need to trust in that and listen to it um, even if when I'm looking at a scene and, and I think oh boy this feels this way to me I have to trust and go complete 180 if they tell me to, because in the end, I find that that will always produce the right feeling for the film. Luckily, I've worked with people that push me and help me create something better in the end as well. But it's it's a multiple stage type thing where there's the discussion about the project and then maybe you, you would start seeing some rough cuts and then it always seems like things go quick right at the end. I don't know why. I don't know how that ends up. You start out with five months and then it ends up five days. <laughs> it's kind of like when your taxes are due, you do it the night before. You know, everybody's yes. sort of in a panic place. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much like that. <laughs> yeah. That's really kind of a fun and interesting invitation to have. I'd like you to revisit something we talked about earlier about how you translate emotions into those sounds and songs the most base thing that like most people have in their minds is they think oh a minor key means sad and a major key means happy and it's sort of an extension of that really that really basic concept into things that are more nuanced and um, more more in in you know my basis of knowledge you know uh, having devoted my whole life to music so for me tempo is a really big one tempo is the pacing or the speed of a piece of music i think that we're as humans a very rhythmic and very like movement oriented beings and that rhythm and tempo are essential for how we feel about a piece of music so that's one of the largest ways that i think emotion can be conveyed so for example if the person is telling me that in the scene 
or in um, something that I'm feeling that I want to convey, let's say that I want to convey like a struggle kind of feeling or like a tension, then I would probably actually have both slow and fast elements because that creates sort of a tension feel for me personally, where you might have like a really long drawn, drawn out like bass type line maybe in a string section or even an electric bass. And then you'd have like moving string parts that would create this, again, a feeling inside of the listener of sort of a struggle or a tension going on. So that is pacing and tempo and rhythm, I think are a really big way that are completely aside from tonality and harmony and tonal progressions. So when I talk about tonal progressions in music, that's like a sentence. So for me, if you think of music, you can basically equate it to, to the way someone communicates with words. There's so much variance in how people communicate with their words. If you just have some really strong, powerful elements, just even in one of those aspects of music, you'll be able to communicate the, the feeling effectively. Some of the other things, for example, like key signature that I was mentioning to with the tonalities, that does really play a part with emotion. There's no doubt in my mind that the vibrations of tones influence the human being and how we feel. I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea of, of like modalities when they were originally presented. This mode that meant you felt this way and this mode. A mode is an older form of a scale, really. I don't necessarily believe that, but I do think that combining different pitches or notes, just like how I was saying, combining different word choices, communicate your feelings in different ways. I do believe that, for example, I have a have a song that is the first movement of, an, of a suite that I've composed while in uh, quarantine. And it's called Earthborn. It's directly inspired by the tension that I felt in our world with, you know, all these differences going on and realizing, you know, we're all here on earth together and we have to figure this out if we want to see the change that is so needed right now. We have to figure out how to get along despite our differences. So the song's called Earthborn Despite Our Differences. And the musical motif that came into my head it was really haunting me and the interval which is the space between notes so the distance between notes. i'm getting super nerdy right now go uh, blast off into nerdland okay so when you're speaking with the term intervals what that refers to is the space between notes so think about a ruler for just a moment and you have inches so the step from A to B would be considered one step. So that's like an inch. So intervals are measured as if you were measuring distance or like inches. And so in my song, Earthborn, we have a musical interval of a seventh. And we as humans really respond to what's called an octave. Your listeners probably know octaves. And octaves are the same note eight notes apart with one being lower and one being higher and they match 
really perfectly and they resonate. And so this resonates with human beings. We feel, oh, I'm home. You know, you feel this sense of completeness. It's comforting that they match. Yes. So if you have a seventh, then you can imagine this feeling of you're not home in a way. But the way that I felt it in this song, there is a sense of longing, but it's a really sort of searching quality to the song because it's meant to be the the journey that we're all on together here on, on earth, searching and trying to find answers as to how we get along, why we exist, what's the meaning of life, all of those kinds of questions. And so that's an example of how someone could use tone or tonality to create a certain feeling that has nothing to do with any of those other elements that we were just talking about. I don't know. At the moment, I'm having this great desire to play a game where I name an emotion and then you have to play it on the cello. Can I move you to the cello and can we play a little bit of a, a thing where I name some emotions and you show me what how you would translate that? Yeah, I'm totally game. This sounds like a fun game. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Bef- before we do the emotional game, the first one I want to pick up is you described the struggle earlier. So I'd love to have you start with just that sound um, when you were trying to define sort of the sense of a struggle in a scene in an area that you maybe already have some, you know, a, a bit of a progressive groove or something. Okay. Sounds good. Let's see. Here's what I, what I really do like about seeing you on the cello here, which the listener doesn't have the advantage of, is that you have this beautiful backdrop with a tree with sunlight bursting through it that sort of the inspiration and the light I think that you put out with your music it's a great visual that unfortunately they don't get to enjoy but to contrast that we're going to hear a little bit about how struggle sounds on the cello from uh, Jen Cornell You know, it's so funny. 
it's like pictures are coming in my head as a writer of soldiers outside of a building and somebody's trying to hide a family member. And like, they, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm just like, like I'm a screenplay is unfolding there. Thank you so much for blowing our minds with that one. So now it's time for the game. All right. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I want you to contrast a little with, with some of the eagerness of Christmas morning before the presents are being opened and the kids have come running down the stairs with the anticipation. So I want to feel sort of an anticipation of what's going to happen when they open these presents. Okay. All right. Let's have some fun. It's really fun. It's really fun to play this game from my end. I don't know how it is from your end, but let's now take a leap to two lovers meeting on a park bench. They're into their relationship far enough. This could be a proposal. There's a moment where it's, let's make it dusk, and they're overlooking a river, and they're both um, meeting from separate places, and they're rushing to meet at this bench for a little bit of time overlooking the river. Okay. I think that Tchaikovsky wrote a, a little ditty called Romeo and Juliet that covers this way better than anything I'm going to come up with. But, but we'll, we'll try. Let's see. All right. Let's just do the Hallmark greeting card version. Heart soaring, right? That's what we want. Right. Heart soaring is a great way to describe it. That's
love is complicated. Ah. That told me that that it takes a little more reflection for me. I couldn't that one needed more layers. I want more orchestral swells and more more things than I could do. So Well, it's important for me to remind the listeners that you are doing this on the fly with no preparation and on my whim. It shows so much to me about one, your wisdom of the instrument and your ability to communicate through the instrument. I'm going to challenge you to go into a not darker, but sort of a more melancholy place, perhaps of loss and grieving. Maybe someone has, they're putting someone to rest. It might be a family sort of graveside that has all of the complications of Maybe somebody they loved for being a provider, but they weren't the best person or something. You know, just odd moment in time when the, the pain stops in one way and it grows in another way. So, so it's sort of complicated request, but I thought by maybe setting a stage, it would give you some parameters to start with. Okay. This is probably going to take a while, though, right? Because all those layers. Yeah, well, you pick the layers you want and then you throw out the layers you don't want. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, man. First of all, that is so beautiful. And I apologize because I started thinking I'm actually asking you to feel all these emotions. Uh, it's a really dirty trick to play on a person <laughs> in the middle of an afternoon. Maybe we can lighten it up with a what does funny sound like to you? Okay. This one's this one is I I yes, fast. Good, let's go for it. That's awesome. One more. We have one more request on, on this game. If you're up for one more and the, and so far you are the returning champion. There's no one that's going to beat you at this game, uh, <laughs> All right. but we have a request to, from the producer here, Amanda Rosenberg. She wants to know what an undercover FBI agent feels like when they're scared. Um, they're about to be meeting with a mob boss and let's just be sure they're wearing a wire, right? So that there's an, there's a little bit of tension there. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> to me, when I think about like spies, I think of this musical, a musical motif called chromaticism and chromaticism is half step. So, so I think I'll work some of that in there. So let's cool. see. 
and you can tell us about it as you go if you want. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's see what we got here. Like when you add things, just let us know what's going down. Okay. I'd love to know your thought process. <laughs> I don't have too much going on up there right now. To be well, <laughs> you've already told me that when you get into this groove that you're possessed. Well, right now I'm just hanging on for dear life, but this is okay. still a fun well, that's, day. That's the, that's the theme of this particular music. so much for playing emotional roulette and showing us what a human jukebox is. It, you know what's so extraordinary about audio theater like that, and particularly knowing, learning so much more about the cello and its ability, is how it imitates stages of life itself in some ways, right? Those emotions can be everything from the, as you mentioned earlier, the birthing process through stages of life to sort of the final curtain of death, which you uh, took on with that lost piece. 
and and all of the all the scenes that fall in between as they're unfolding. So I know that even if people tuned into this and they may not have known who you are, I don't think after this conversation they're going to forget who you are at all. And I would encourage them to look up Jen Cornell, Jen Cello is your dot com, I think, right? I just want them to, uh, they, what they can't see that I'm watching right here is that this is just happening. It's unfolding from your head and your heart at once. And every level of the looping and all of that is just an instinctual way of communicating through music and telling stories that way. This has really been an extraordinary conversation. And I think you've set the standard for uh, show and tell for our future guests. If you've got any kind of little, we typically ask for a little take-home assignment, maybe something that you can share that they can take action with right away or that will give them a creative inspiration in the coming week, I would welcome that. Thank you. I love that idea. And I would be more than happy to because everyone needs to feel creativity in some way or another. There's sort of, I think, a general question I feel that a lot of people will have. is like, where does my joy come from? And a big place that we can find it is through creative expression because it's getting to know ourselves, really, is what we're doing. So my um, suggestion for getting in touch with your own creativity is that when you're listening to any music, if you feel moved, I would like you to notice if you might have some sort of movement in your body that would accompany that emotion. And it could even be started as a rhythmic exercise, something that you like to, to dance to, because what I believe um, movement would do for a person with music is allow you to be more in touch with what you're feeling. So I think if you if you move, you're going to be more in your body and you'll be out of your head. And I think that's really important for creativity. It's not to say that we don't put in the work for learning about certain skills and crafts because that's a necessary component, but just for a, a quick and powerful way to get in touch with your own creativity, I suggest movement to music. That's a great, great suggestion. I'm going to ask just if there's anything that you wanted to play. So the piece that I'm going to share with you is actually a, a melody that is inspired from one of my more orchestrated pieces of music. So I find it an interesting example of how in a solo setting, I might reinterpret something that I've had more layers with. But really, the reason I was going to share it with you is just because it's a sweet melody and I want to finish this with a nice little hug and kiss to you guys. It's actually based on my song called Dream Big. This is just a sweet little melody I'd like to leave you with.
That was a musician with big dreams and even a bigger heart, Jen Cornell. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and you will always have an invitation to join us for more creative conversations that offer a spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative under Wizbang producer Amanda Rosenberg with editing by soundsmith Casey Franco. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp. Please feel free to reach out with your input or to share a review through social media on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityandcaptivity.fun. That's right, it's dot .fun because .com is not fun. Cheers. Call.